0: Hey, it is good to be with everyone. Uh, if you don't now, do not know my name. My name is Ashton Cooper. Uh, I help lead the campus ministry here in Brooklyn, and I uh, flew all the way from East New York to be here. It was a short flight. It was a short flight. Um, the service has been great so far, and I actually want to start off my message by uh, just getting sharing my heart with you guys. I am so grateful for the church in Brooklyn. Um, in about a few months, I'm going to be six years as a disciple of Jesus. And it's just so clear that the people here have helped me get there. And I'm just so grateful for that. And I know that maybe all of you don't know me that well, or you may not have had a personal interaction with me maybe, uh, but I truly believe that the chances are you've impacted me in some way. You know, whether it's through serving in the children's ministry and helping serve people who grew up to become uh, disciples in campus who impacted me, people like Patrick and, and Mark and Marla, Mike, Kyle, Serafina. There's a lot of names on this list. <laughs> Tons of people who, who, who have impacted my life. You know, uh, whether you really uh, bought a baked good or, or something at a campus food sale to help us get to a conference or a treat like the Krispy Kreme thing that the teens are doing, shameless plug. Uh, you know, maybe you got up in front of sh- church and, and shared the word or shared your life, and that really inspired me. Maybe you gave me feedback after a message or correction, rebuke. Maybe even just by staying faithful, you show me with your life that it's possible. I want to thank you for that uh, because your perseverance has really helped me to keep fighting, and I want to thank you guys for that. And I, and I, and I don't want to ever take this family for granted. I don't want to ever take this incredible family that we have for granted. You know, I have, I have dreams about how God is going to use Brooklyn how God is going to continue to use us, dreams of how this auditorium could be filled, uh, dreams how people can find true joy in Christ, uh, thriving in their walk with God, dreams of us maturing, growing more diverse, more unified, dreams of us doing great things for God. And I know that I'm not alone in that dream. I know that many of you, hopefully all of you, share in that dream. And I think the reason that is is because my dream is not all that unique. And it's not even my dream, it's God's dream. Let's turn to Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. Talk a little bit about God's vision for the church. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, uh, the Bible reads, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blow here and there, by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ." From him, the whole body joined together, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, also in John 14, verse 12, Jesus talks about us doing greater things than he. And when I think about all of these things, I think about the fact that God has a dream for our growth as a church, for us to be mature, for us to be unified, to be supporting one another, to be sharing in the work. We know his vision is for all nations to be saved in Matthew 28. And we see that Jesus' vision for us is for us to do greater things than him. Now, the thing is with that is that with this dream that God has given us, this calling for us to be great for him, there's something fundamental that we must understand. One of the keys to being great spiritually is humility. Humility is one of the keys for us to be great Spiritually, Turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, we're going to park here for a little bit. And if Jesus is speaking about the role that humility plays in us being great. In Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. In Matthew 18, the Bible reads, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And we're going to stop there. You know, in the ESV in verse four it says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, here we have a conversation that Jesus is having with the 12. And this specific conversation Jesus is having actually shows up in each one of the synoptic gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It shows up in Mark, uh, in Mark 9, verses 33 to 37. And it also shows up in Luke 9, verses 46 to 48. Um, so all of these uh, books are called the synoptic gospels because they share the events of Jesus' life from a, sim- a similar uh, viewpoint. And synoptic means together sight in a literal sense. So they're different than the Gospel of John. For instance, John contains no parables, maybe even only one arguably in John 10, while the other Gospels are filled with parables. So we're getting to this conversation, and in Matthew 18, we really don't know why it starts. You know, in Matthew 18, we see the disciples in Capernaum. They're talking about temple tax, and it just seems like this conversation just comes out of nowhere. But when we look at the other passages that tell this story as well, we get an idea of maybe why this conversation was happening. In Mark 9, it talks about the disciples coming into Capernaum, going into a house, and it actually in that story says Jesus initiates with them uh, uh, this conversation. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. So it seems like the disciples were arguing and Jesus initiated, knowing their hearts, So what were you guys arguing about? And in Luke 9, it says that this argument started among the disciples as to which one of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child, had him stand beside him. And then he said to them all these things about becoming more like a child. So the disciples may have had this desire to be great. Maybe it was out of this competitive spirit that they were arguing Maybe they just had a genuine desire to be great spiritually, but I think likely it has something to do with their misunderstanding of who Jesus was as the Messiah. They're thinking this Messiah is going to come and set up this conquering uh, kingdom, this earthly political kingdom, and they wanted a high position in Jesus' kingdom. But ultimately, we don't know why for sure this conversation started. But we do know one thing for sure when it ends. Greatness in the eyes of Jesus is defined by humility and service. And the illustration that Jesus uses is that of a child. He literally brings a child in front of them and says, if you want to become the greatest, you must become like the least. Unless you change and become like him or her, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Guys, what happens when you see a child? When you just see, when you see a child, a little baby, a a small child, what emotion come up? What emotions come up? how do you feel? What do you think? Some of us think, oh, so cute. Look at that baby. You can do no wrong. You know, we have, we place so much value in children today, but imagine seeing this child, this baby, cute baby. Anyway, imagine seeing this child and thinking, oh, look at them. They're not even strong enough to work or hold down a job. They can contribute nothing to this household, nothing to this fami- family. They're useless. That would be a little odd. Some of us, I don't know, y'all agreeing, but that's a little odd for most of us to think this way. You know, uh, in ancient times, children weren't all that valued in some cultures. You know, aside and child abandonment was widespread in the Roman Empire at the time. You could be given up for, or, or, or killed even, for not being the right gender or having a deformity. Children were not seen as equals to adults. They could, could not contribute financially, so they didn't share the same value as human beings. In some cultures, they were especially vulnerable and often taken advantage of in their vulnerability. You know, we even see in in, in Luke 18 how marginalized children were, where their families bringing babies to Jesus and the disciples rebuked the families for bringing babies to Jesus. People bring the poor to Jesus, the the sick, the demon-possessed. But when they bring the children, the babies to Jesus, the disciples are like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? They're frustrated. They're annoyed with the fact that they're bringing children to Jesus. Now that we have that mindset of a first century person, think about what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, unless you change and become like little children, vulnerable, meek, poor in spirit, completely reliant on others, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Is there a childlike humility present in your life? Is there a childlike humility present in your life? It may make a world of difference in your relationship with God and in our growth as a family. I got two points today when I wanna talk about us talking about childlike humility. The first point is to be dependent and the second point is be a servant. We're gonna start off with our first point about being dependent. You know, children are completely dependent on their parents, completely dependent on others to survive, to grow. You know, and as someone who is not far, from, far removed from being a child and who some of you might see as a child, you know, I remember the desire I had as a kid to grow up and be independent. I remember the desire I had as a kid to, to be on my own and to make my own rules and to do what I wanted. And then I had to do my own taxes. And now I want to go back. <laughs> but in our society... Being independent is seen as being strong. Being independent, being self-made, self-reliant, these are the things that are held in highest regard. You're great because of these qualities. And as disciples of Jesus, we need to be careful. You know, making money for yourself, doing well in your career, these things are obviously very important. Being, Being able to set up your life in such a way that you don't have to depend on others. And the Bible speaks about that. And there's a time to move on from those childish ways. But as my brother Mike Hidago taught me, there's a difference between being childish and childlike. And in our efforts to be mature, we must reflect and consider the ways we must remain like a child. And one of them, I believe, is to learn to be dependent spiritually. We and when seeking to become like children, when seeking to be humble, we must learn to be dependent. Dependent on who? I'm glad you asked. I think the Bible talks about us being dependent on God and dependent on other people. Let's talk about being dependent on God. Let's look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And I'm going to also reference a few scriptures here. And it's a short passage in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Verse 2 says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it, you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do you crave the word of God? It's by this that we grow up spiritually. You know, Hebrews 5 uh, verses 12 and 14, uh, 12 through 14, it uses the word milk to describe the elementary truths of God's word. And it speaks to the mature as well and says we should be on to solid food and that we should have this constant use of this solid food. So here is the picture that the Bible, the, the Bible is painting about the word of God. It's an essential part of our nourishment to our spiritual bodies. We feed our physical selves all the time to take care of our physical bodies to help us grow, and we need to feed ourselves spiritually as well. So whether you need some milk or you need consistent, solid food, get what you need. Crave it. Don't let anything get in the way. When a baby wants his milk, when a baby wants his food, nothing is getting in the way. Everything else can wait. If you're a mother or a father, you might have more experience with this, but your your, your TV can wait. Your TV show can wait. Your sleep can wait. Whatever you're doing, it can wait because a baby wants his food and he has to eat. Are we seeking after the word like that in our lives? Are we panting Like a deer pants for water because our soul is thirsty and hungry and crying. Can everything else wait? Can sleep wait? Can our TV show wait? Can social media wait? Other people, can they wait? Because the most important thing is spending time with our Heavenly Father and spending time in his word. You know, think about it. What is the more devastating thought and feeling for you? Going a whole day without eating or going a whole day without feeding your spirit? What is a more devastating thought to you, which makes you feel more uncomfortable? And you might be thinking, man, Ashley, we're talking about food. I need need food to eat and and to live. And if I don't eat food, I will die. That's true. But if you don't eat spiritual food, if you don't eat the bread of life, you're going to stay dead. And you won't rise again. Childlike humility looks like being dependent on God. We wouldn't know our right and wrong without him. We wouldn't know our right from our wrong, our left from our right. His wisdom is life-saving. His teachings bring us to life to the full. The Bible has principles for dealing with our emotions, dealing, excelling in our careers, successful relationships, marriages, thriving in our families, resolving issues, managing our finances, and most important, it teaches us how to be saved. Are we craving the word of God? Are we dependent on him? You know, Isaiah 32 uh, verse 8 says, noble men make noble plans and by noble deeds they stand. And I think it's important to have a desire for the word. But we also need to make a plan as to how we're going to get it. As to how we're going to get that nourishment for our lives. And just some, uh, some practicals for you guys that, that I was thinking about as I thought about this point. I think if you're in a place where you haven't read the entire Bible yet, then make a plan to read the entire Bible. It's inspired by God. All of it is inspired by God, and we want to get to know all of who he is. So let's get to know the word better. You know, maybe even there's parts of the Bible that you're just not too familiar with. Go over them again. For me, I'm trying to spend more time in the Old Testament now because I feel like I don't have a great grasp on it. And I want to grow in my ability in understanding some of the things that I enjoy reading, like the Gospels in the New Testament. And my lack of understanding of the context is hurting my ability to understand the scriptures that I'm reading in the New Testament. So I want to dig into the Bible and look more into the Old Testament. You know, maybe it's you learning how to teach others to become Christians. Learn the studies. We're, doing, we're going through the study series in our Wednesday midweeks. Uh, take time to learn. Take time to take notes. Ask questions. Watch the videos that are online. Mes- memorize the studies. Do whatever you can to learn how to be uh, someone who can teach the Bible to someone else and help them with their relationship with God. Maybe you're working on forming your relationship with God. You know, be eager to open up your schedule and learn more about God and learn more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's time to do a topical study on scriptures that will help you uh, work on something in your character, or work on a sin that you've been struggling with. Maybe you can ask for scriptures from other people. Uh, there's this brother, Prince, and every time he's kind of digging into a new topic, he'll send out a mass test to text to different brothers and say, hey, what are, some ta- what are some scriptures on humility? And we'll send them back list of scriptures, scriptures that we like. And then he'll just go through those scriptures one by one or study out a book that we suggest so that he can dig into that topic for himself. And I think that's something that's helpful for us. You know, decide to spend more time in the word and to be less distracted when you do. Exhaust all those reference scriptures that you see in the footnotes and everything like that. You know, ask questions again and again. Ask questions in the fellowship. I had a brother who called me at 8 a.m., with a question about the Bible. It was an unknown number, so he's lucky I even picked up. But what happened, this brother is actually twice my age, probably more, and he called me saying, hey, I'm reading this right now, and I'm not really understanding what's going on. That's childlike humility. Really asking me a question about the Bible, going after it. I had a conversation with Marva after our daytime midweek, just talking through the scriptures, trying to figure out why Jesus said what he said to the Seraphonician woman about the dogs and the crumbs and and we're digging through scriptures and trying to understand it. Ask questions. That's what childlike humility is and us craving the word. You know, maybe you, you know everything. Learn some ancient Hebrew. Learn some Greek. Learn the original languages. Maybe you're just like, oh, Ash, and I've done all of that again. Then learn how to speak Greek. Learn how to read the Bible in, in, in the language it was originally written in. It's not. It's possible. It's possible. Go after it, guys. So we can depend on God and depend on his word. Amen? We also need to be dependent on people. People will help you with the first part. People will help you be dependent on God. We play a role in each other's lives in being great for God. And we need to have a childlike humility in our dependence on one another. Do we rely on each other the same way we need to rely on God? Maybe not, but we still need each other. We still need each other. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 21 It's talking about the body that's made up of many parts, and it says the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other, guys. Hebrews 10 talks about us, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 talks about us spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. How we need to encourage each other as the day approaches. Ecclesiastes 4 talks about two being better than one. That if we fall, one can, then one can lift up his fellow, but woe well to him who is alone and falls and has not anyone to pick them up. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, perfuse are the kisses of an enemy. There are 50 plus one another commands in the Bible. Commands like one, love one another and bear up one another and forgive each other. And we need each other to obey those commands. Discipleship is not designed to be as something to be done independently. And Maybe you're in a, an intense circumstance and you have to rough it out, just you and God, and you can't have anyone with you. But the reality for us is that we're here together. We have each other. We have an unprecedented access to one another. To get to each other, we could take the train. We could take the bus. We could take a car. We could take a plane from East New York. We could, we could, we could Uber it, whatever we have to do. We can call, text, email, FaceTime, voice message, snap, tweet, DM. You can do whatever you want to reach out to someone else. But more often than not, especially with my generation, is that we're in the same room and we're focused on the glowing rectangles instead of one another. Don't we need each other, guys? Don't we need to be open about what's going on? Don't we have something to confess and renounce the sin that's, that's eating us up inside? Don't we need advice? Don't we need advice? Don't we need to take notes at service or listen to the message online so we can make the conviction that's being passed on our own? Don't we need to deal with our our, our bitterness and mistrust and attitude towards other people so that we can be unified? Don't we need each other? Disciples who are dependent on other disciples deepen their connection with God and are more devoted to the direction of his church. And if we are trying to move forward as a church, as as people, and we have a hesitant heart to follow others' lead, then we can't all go in the same direction. It would be impossible for us to be unified, and it's obvious that that hurts the church. That lack of childlike humility when it comes to being dependent on one another and dependent on God can keep us from being great. Let us learn to become like children, to be humble, and to be dependent. Amen? My second point, my last point. It's to be a servant, to be a servant. You know, when you're, when you're a child, like I said, as I wasn't far removed from, and when you're young, you're just asked to do, you're just asked to serve a lot. You're just asked to do a lot of things. I know in my family, because I was young, I was just always getting stuff for people. Go get the remote, go, you know, turn off the TV, go to the store. It's just, if you're the young one, you're just going to do things. That's just what it is. Now I have a nephew that, that that grows up with me. He's seven years old, and at one point he was like, "Why am I always getting things for people? Getting things for people," and it's like he gets it. He's seven years old. He's like, "I just went upstairs. I came back down," and you're like, "Oh, get the get the thing from off the thing," you know? Like that's how we that's how we treat him, because he's a child, you know. But and I'm not endorsing it, but that's just what it is. Just, but um, when we were really small, if we can remember, when we were really small we actually enjoyed serving. When we were like really, really small, we were waiting for opportunities to help. Waiting for opportunities to be a part of something. We just wanted to feel like we did something productive. We try and pick up the broom and sweep and we make more of a mess doing it, but we felt productive so we're gonna do it. You know, people are bringing in the groceries, you wanna hold a corner of the like orange juice carton while your dad is carrying it and you feel like you just lifted the most heavy thing in the world. That's what babies are like. They just want to serve. They don't really care what they do. They just want to feel productive. There's this feeling of being accomplished and proud. And as children, sometimes our eyes lit up at the thought of feeling important and serving. You know, does that same childlike humility reside in our hearts when it comes to serving today? Does it matter what you do? Are there things you wouldn't do, things that are beneath you? Do you desire to serve in a certain way? And if not in that way, then you don't want to serve at all. Or maybe you're waiting for a special way to serve. You want to lead this Bible talk. You want to preach. And then in the meantime, you're just going to be idle and just not do anything in the meantime. Or do you see each role in the church as important? And are you willing to offer what you have to build up God's church? It's all important. It's all important. Each part of the body is important. Each role is important. I'm not more important than you. You're not more important than me. We have different roles, and it's only by us coming together and being connected to the head that is Jesus that we're even important in the first place. It's because of Jesus. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 18 to 27. Talks about our roles in the body. Actually, I think we're going to read beyond 27, but let's start in verse 18. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. A part of it. And God is placing the church, first of all, the apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles. Then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you the most excellent way. I'm going to stop there. You know, our roles are different. But equally important, the church at Corinth seemed to be obsessed with these different roles, with these different gifts. And Paul had to encourage them to look deeper and to desire to serve in greater ways. He said to serve in the way of love, which is the most excellent way. First Corinthians 13 is the the chapter right after. And it says you can do all of these things. You can speak in the language of angels. You can do this, do this. And if you don't have love, then it's nothing. Without love, we are nothing. And, and church, we, we, we matter because we're together. We matter together. There's a need to be willing to serve in any way, and especially in the most excellent way, in love, to build up the body of Christ, to serve out of love, to be willing to be unnoticed, to give our best. You know, I think some of us are serving in these ways already. And I think many of us are in a position to serve in these ways already. But because we may not see honor in it, or, or we don't maybe take so much pride in it that we're not giving our whole heart. We're not pouring ourselves out. When, God has, when has God ever asked us not to give our whole heart to something? When it comes to bringing him glory. You know, Colossians 3.23 is a scripture that we use a lot of the time talking about work ethic. Especially in a different in things outside of the church. And it says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, this passage talks about us mimicking our work, the work ethic that we have towards serving God when we serve our human masters, our teachers, professors, bosses, managers, supervisors. But if there's no reference point in our lives of working with all of our heart towards the Lord, this scripture doesn't connect with us the way it should. We're supposed to apply the work, the, the, the investment, the all of our heart type passion that we put in towards serving Jesus in other areas of our lives. It's supposed to com- be compared to that. And you know, I know for me, um, serving as a campus minister, I've really learned to work hard for God, to push myself and to give my all. But I wish that people would know that I don't do it because I'm a minister. I do it because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And that's what's most important. There's times I've talked to people or maybe shared my faith with them, and somehow through the conversation, they find out I'm a minister somehow. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's why you're doing what you're doing. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> it's because of Jesus. Every disciple I know is like this. And that's how, I, that's how I view it. You know, for me, when I became a disciple, all I knew was a volunteer heart to serve, to invest yourself completely in the role you were given. I remember seeing people like Steve and Ozzie and, Manny and Angie and all these people, so many others. I remember seeing Nietzsche, and, and when I was first a disciple, I was just like, I wonder what his job is. Like, I wonder what he does for work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's an evangelist. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know he's an evangelist, but what does he do, like, for money and stuff? You know, like, I just assumed that Nietzsche was just, just doing this out of the goodness, like, just serving. I didn't know it was his job. All I knew was people serving because of Jesus. That's all I knew, and that's all I know. You know, every Sunday, there is... A second sermon being preached while the person up here is speaking. You know, in the back table, there's people helping translate the message for our Latin ministry. They're not standing up here. They're at the back where no one sees them. And they're preaching every Sunday. And they're serving, and it's going unnoticed, and it's because they love Jesus. And that's what it's all about. You know, there's so many people who go unnoticed. The security, the ushers, the teachers, the worship team, so many things that go unnoticed. So many things that these people take so much pride in doing and give all of their heart for it. You know, I remember, I never forget the childlike humility of the leadership group in Brooklyn. I remember when Nietzsche first had to step down for health reasons and I had to step up and, and do certain things with the church. I remember people just welcoming me, people just sitting, waiting for me to start the meeting. And I felt weird about being the one leading the meeting. People asking me, whatever you need, I got you. Don't, don't be worried, don't be afraid, I, I got your back. I'm, I'm ready to follow you. That childlike humility. You know, when I think about childlike humi- humility, I also think about a brother, his name is Sean Paul. Right, Sean Paul got married yesterday. And um, it, was really, it was a really beautiful wedding. Um, it was a really beautiful wedding in South Jersey. And, and I remember Sean being at campus and how much he invested himself. In the fundraising, he helped build this fundraising committee and us being able to raise money so we can go to ICMC and things like that. He would come to Brooklyn College from Berkeley College to lead Bible talks with me, to teach me how to lead studies. He served so much, he's driving people home every night after midweek, after Devo, going on encouragement dates. He left campus, then he went to serve in the teens, and he invested all that he had in the teen ministry. Invested invested in, in Joey, helping Joey become a disciple along with Kyle. You know, went to the singles, then helped lead a Bible talk in the singles ministry. And he did so much that will go unnoticed. But I thank God for him. And his service and his example is childlike humility. You know, church, take pride in anything that you do that brings glory to God. Anything that you do is not about, childlike humility is not about us being worried about who recognizes it. Or whether it seems important, just be excited that God knows. God knows the good that you are doing. You know, childlike humility is so important, guys, for us to move forward together as a church. We need to focus on being dependent on God in every way possible. Seeking his word, craving his word, being dependent on each other, relying on one another and knowing that we can help each other make it to heaven. And also being a servant, no matter what it is, giving our very best for God. To him be the glory. Amen.